The following sermon is from New Life Baptist Church, where we exist to see lives transformed by the gospel as we make, mature, and mobilize disciples of Jesus. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at newlifeba.org. What do you think should be the primary purpose of this church? Now, as you think about that question, some of you may be thinking that the primary purpose of this church should be maybe to provide a place where we can fellowship with one another and care for each other. And that's important. Others might think that the primary purpose of this church is to provide encouragement by the Sunday morning services as we gather together to sing and to hear God's words, God's word preached to us. That's important, too. Still, others may say, may answer, the primary purpose of this church is to rightly teach and to, and to defend biblical doctrine, to be a pillar and a buttress for truth in a, in a day of confusion. Now, that's important, too. But as necessary and as vitally important as these things are to the life and to the health of this church, If these things were its primary purpose, then God would have brought his children immediately to heaven after salvation, where fellowship, encouragement, and teaching is perfect and unending. Now, I believe that Matthew 28, 16 through 20 teaches us clearly that there is one primary reason why the Lord Jesus has kept his church here on this earth, and that is to glorify him as we work to fulfill the Great Commission. One commentator put it this way. He said, if a Christian understands all the rest of the gospel of Matthew, but fails to understand this closing passage, he has missed the point of the entire book. The passage is the climax and the major focal point, not only of this gospel, but of the entire New Testament. And he goes on, he goes on to say, it's not an exaggeration to say that in its broadest sense, this passage is the focal point of all of Scripture. I think he's right. And so this morning, I invite you to open with me to Matthew 28, 16 through 20. And this morning, I would like to share with you from God's word four reasons why, four reasons why we as followers of Jesus and as New Life Baptist Church should actively engage in the mission of Jesus. Four reasons why we uh, as individuals, as followers of Jesus, and why we as New Life Baptist Church should actively engage in the mission of of Jesus. And so let's read our text. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, Father, we we come before you and we just ask that you would do a great work this morning. Lord, we pray that you would renew a commitment within each and every one of us to the task of the Great Commission. And that we would be motivated by worship of Jesus, by your authority, by your commandments, and by your presence. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, number one, we see in verses 16 through 17 that Jesus is worthy of worship. Now, remember, and and Brother Mike alluded to it uh, earlier, remember the context of this passage, right? Earlier in chapter 28, the Apostle Matthew recounts the reality of the resurrection of Jesus 
For though Jesus was crucified for our sake and died in our place, bearing our sin and our shame on the cross so that we might become righteous in him. And though he actually died, he truly died and was buried. Praise be to God that three days later, he was raised from the dead. Death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him for Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And so our text says that when the disciples came into the physical presence of the risen Christ, that there was only one proper response for them. And it was that of worship. And in this act, we see this key truth. Now, before we are called to do anything for Jesus, we are first called to stand in awe of Jesus, to behold him, to believe in him and to worship him. And do we see that worship is the basis and the purpose for the Great Commission? It's the basis, it's the motivation, you might say, another way to put it. It's the motivation because when our hearts are full of love and adoration for Jesus, the natural overflow of that affection is to share with others about his glory, his goodness, and his grace. In short, when our hearts rejoice in Jesus, our mouths will speak of Jesus to others. Now, the subject of our conversations tend to flow toward what intrigues us and what we are enamored by, right? For some, that may be your children, your grandchildren. For others, that may be a hobby or your work or a favorite sports team. But we tend to fill in, our conversations tend to flow toward what brings us the most joy. It's just natural for us. And so oftentimes, when there is an absence of evangelism in our lives, it's not really due to a lack of training or maybe even a lack of knowledge. Many times, and I found this true to be in my own life as well, it's due to a lack of worship within our hearts, of rejoicing in Jesus and in his gospel. And so the way we fix our lack of evangelism is not three things to work on discipline, but it's by remembering the beauty of the gospel, what Jesus Christ has done in his life, his death, in his resurrection to save us from our sin. And it's by daily fellowshipping with him through his word and in prayer. Because when our hearts are full of worship for Jesus, our mouths will flow with sharing the gospel of Jesus with others. Worship, it's the basis, it's the motivation of the Great Commission. But also we see that worship is the purpose of the Great Commission as well. In his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, John Piper, he wrote this. He said, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. So sometimes we get that backwards. What do we need to do rather than who we need to worship? And out of the overflow of that worship, then we do. We see this in Psalm 96 when it says, Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared among, uh, above all gods. He goes on, it goes on to say, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. So right now, church, right now, there are tens of thousands of people in our city. And there are billions of people around our world who are not worshiping King Jesus. But who are instead bowing their hearts to the idolatries of this world. So I just want you to to listen, church, that our king is worthy. He is worthy to receive the praise and the adoration and the worship of these people. 
1732, there were two young men from Germany who heard about the story of 3,000 African slaves who had been taken to the islands in the West Indies. Now, these are 3,000 people created in God's image who were without access to the gospel. And so these two men determined to go to these islands as missionaries at considerable risk to their own lives. And so as, as the ship is pulling away, as their family and friends are standing on the dock, and as they look to their family and friends, maybe for the last time, not knowing whether they would see them again, these two men raised their fist and they cried out together, May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. The worship of Jesus Christ, the praise of his name resounding from every tribe, tongue, language, and people in our world. This is the purpose of missions and of the Great Commission. Everything begins and everything ends with worship. Worship of King Jesus. That's why in the Lord's Prayer, the first petition isn't let your kingdom come or give us this daily bread as important as those are. No, what's the first petition, first prayer? Our Father in heaven, what? Hallowed be your name. That above anything else, anything else in life, may your name be treasured. May your name be lifted high. May your name be adored. May your name be worshiped in my own life, in the life of this church, in the life of our neighborhood, and among all the peoples of the world. Everything begins and it ends with worship of Jesus. If we don't get this right, nothing else following will be right. Worship of Jesus is the basis and it's the purpose of missions. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, our text says. Now, before we move on to our second reason, I just want to pause and touch on that last phrase at the end of verse 17. What does it say? It says, but some doubted, right? Some doubted. Now, in this room, I know that there are more than likely some of you that are counted among that group, but some doubted. Maybe you're doubting the truths of Christianity. Maybe you're a Christian, but you're doubting the the love of God personally for you. Maybe you're struggling with the assurance of your salvation. You don't know whether you are saved or whether you are not saved. And if that's you this morning, I want you to see from our text this great truth. What does it say in verse 18? It says that Jesus came to them and he spoke to them. Church, Jesus comes to the doubting. He doesn't cast you off. He comes to you in your doubting. And notice what our text says, that that those who believed and those who doubted, both of them, he came and he spoke to them. So I just want to encourage you this morning, if you are doubting, if you are doubting, whether it's questioning the goodness of God in your life situation, questioning your assurance, whatever it may be, don't run or hide from Jesus. Instead, seek him out in your doubting. For those who seek will find. And in your seeking, you will find the warm embrace of a risen Savior who is able to dispel your doubts by his presence and by the power of his word. He came to them and he spoke to them. And what was true of Jesus' disciple named Thomas can be true of you as well. That after putting his hands in the nail-pierced hands of the risen Savior, Thomas's doubts were immediately transformed into adoration 
as he exclaimed to my Lord and my God. So this morning, if, if you would be honest and if you would say, yeah, I'm counted among that group. I, I, I personally am struggling with certain doubts. Please know that I have been praying for you. I've been praying that you're doubting by the power of Jesus's presence and by the power of his word, that it would be transformed from doubt to adoration of him. For he is worthy of worship. And so not only do we engage in the mission of Jesus because he is worthy of worship, but secondly, we also engage in the mission of Jesus because he is unrivaled in his authority. Would you look at verse 18 with me where it says, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so as we read through the Gospels, we see that in his ministry on earth, Jesus had authority over disease. He had authority over nature. He had authority over the spiritual realm and he had authority even over death itself. But now after his death and resurrection and before his soon ascension to heaven, Jesus declares that his authority has no limit. And while the leaders of this earth are limited to their nation's boundaries, Jesus is unrivaled because his authority knows no end. Jesus's authority will be bound by nothing. And one day, ultimately, his authority will be opposed by no one. Jesus, he is the sovereign king ruling in heaven over his creation with all authority. Now, you might be asking if that's true, what kind of kingdom does Jesus have? When John chapter 18, before the, his crucifixion, uh, Pilate is questioning Jesus. Do you remember that scene? And Jesus says to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. And so I just want to pause real quick and remind you this morning that our allegiance, it isn't first and foremost to a political party or to an ideology or to even a nation state. As Christians, we shouldn't devote ourselves and our lives to making America great again or even to building it back better. For just like the great nations of antiquity, as you all have studied throughout your, your study of the book of Daniel, what is true of the great nations of antiquity? Nations rise and what? Nations fall. America will rise and one day America will fall. But contrary to the kingdoms of this world, the kingdom of God will endure for all eternity. And we are reminded in Philippians 3.20 that we are first and foremost citizens of heaven. And we serve a king who possesses all authority and who is not bound by term limits. While other kings and leaders authority can extend only to the external behaviors of their people. Jesus's authority is powerful to govern the actual hearts and the desires of his people. And so as people repent of their sins and as they trust in Jesus as their Lord and King, Jesus's kingdom is advanced and his authority is displayed in the world. As you yield yourself daily to the lordship of Jesus in your life, his authority is displayed in your life as well. We see that Jesus, he is unrivaled in his authority. Thirdly, we see also why we should engage in the mission of Jesus. We see because Jesus has commanded us as his disciples. Let's read verse 19. Jesus says this. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, in our English translations, the emphasis of verse 19, it naturally goes to that first word, doesn't it? When you read it, what pops out of the page to you? The word go, right? But interestingly, in the original language, it reads something more like this. As you are going, make disciples. And so the emphasis isn't primarily on the going so much as it is on the making of disciples. So what does that mean for us? That throughout our daily routines and our responsibilities, Jesus is calling us to a heightened gospel intentionality. That in our goings, in our comings, and in our goings, we are to make disciples. I think sometimes, right, there can be this false notion within the church that the Great Commission, it's really meant for for those who have been called, who have received a calling, those of the pastors and the missionaries of the church. That's their job to do. But here... Jesus debunks that theory, doesn't he? For what he said in verse 19, it's not a commission for the called, but it's a command for every single Christian. That's why I shared with you in the Q&A that we had earlier, that if you call me to be the pastor, one of the core convictions of this church will be that every disciple is a disciple maker. And that's not because it's catchy, it sounds good. It's because Jesus has commanded every single one of us to make disciples. And so this morning, have you received forgiveness of sins from Jesus? Then in doing so, in confessing him as your Lord and as your King, you have received a mission from him as well. And that is to go, therefore, and to make disciples. So I just want to encourage and I want to challenge you as a church to pray for and to intentionally seek to be a church that exists for this neighborhood where you are situated. Jesus has strategically placed New Life Baptist Church around hundreds of homes that we would make disciples in this neighborhood. We are to be a church for this neighborhood. But notice what else Jesus says next, that not only are we to make disciples only in this neighborhood, Jesus has also commanded us to make disciples where? Of all nations. That's right. Now, the best way to understand this word nations, it's not the way we understand it uh, typically today, right? When you think of nations, what do you think of? United States, Mexico, Canada, Germany, Saudi Arabia. Those are the, the, that's our frame of reference when it comes to nations. But the biblical understanding of this word nations really uh, 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 relates to this idea of people groups. And so uh, I think it's helpful to ask, okay, what's a people group, Right. Well, in short, a people group, it's a group of people, go figure, right? A people group is a group of people that share a similar ethnicity, language, culture, and region. They're in the same place, they speak the same language, and they have the same customs. It's the largest group of people where the gospel can spread without encountering barriers of understanding. Now, hang with me here. We're going to go through some numbers, okay? Hang with me. According to a ministry called the Joshua Project, There are 17,429 people groups in our world. And of these people groups, 7,417 people groups are still unreached with the gospel. Now, a a people group is considered unreached if there are less than 2% Christians in that people group. And so these unreached people groups represent 3.37 billion people in our world today. 
In 2011, 11 years ago, I had the opportunity to go to the northern part of the country of Myanmar. Myanmar is situated in Southeast Asia. And while we were there, we went uh, to a mountainous part of, uh, of Myanmar and we would hike to different villages and we would go and we would just have conversation with people. We would sit down with them, have tea with them. And, and in conversation, we would always ask this question. The, we would say, these mountains around you, they are stunning. They are beautiful. Do you know the one who created these mountains? And without fail, time after time after time after time, sitting directly across from these people, they would answer with no. They had never once heard of the one who created these mount, their mountains, much less the one who can redeem them from their sin. And so when we talk about unreached, this is what we are referring to. So I know 3.37 billion, that's a big number, right? You know, in, in a day and age where we talk about hundreds of billions of, 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 uh, of dollars in, in legislation in uh, the federal government and trillions of dollars even, those big numbers, they don't have practical bearing and meaning for us. We don't have a frame of reference really to understand those big numbers. So let me just hang with me again, break this down. So of those 3.37 billion people, let's just assume 2% are reached. That's best case scenario. That leaves 3,302,600,000 people that are lost and destined for an eternal hell. Let's just assume a a mortality rate uh, of about a little less than 1%. This means that this year, 27,510,000 people will have died and spend an eternity in hell apart from hearing the life-giving news that Jesus saves. Or let's, let's bring it a little bit closer to home even. 529,000 people this past week, 75,000 people this day, 3,100 people this hour, 52 people this minute, and roughly one person every single second of every single day, of every single week, of every single month, of every single year, spending an eternity in hell apart from Christ without once hearing the remedy for their sin problem, the life-giving news of the gospel. And so church, when I asked you at the beginning, what is the primary purpose of this church? We, we, we are to commit ourselves to the Great Commission, not because it will grow a church, not because it will give us something to do. We do this because lives and eternities are at stake. Lives and eternities are at stake. If we are a people who believe that King Jesus is unrivaled in his authority, that he is worthy of worship, that he is the savior of all peoples. And if we are to obey the second greatest commandment, which is what? To love our neighbor as ourselves. Then these statistics should weigh heavily on our hearts. And it should compel us to a fervent readiness and a faithful commitment to make disciples among all nations. So listen, church, if you don't hear anything else in my sermon today, Listen to this. I, listen to this. Jesus has called us to be a church for our neighborhood. Yes. And he has called us to be a church for the nations. So I plead with you on behalf of the person who died just this past second. That as a church, we would never lose sight of and that we would never get distracted from the central mission that Jesus has given us. And that is to make disciples and to do it of all nations. Jesus has called New Life Baptist Church to be a church for our neighborhood and to be a church for the nations. 
And so the question before us is simple. Will we obey him? But check this, church, check this out. Did you know that God has made a way for us right now to be a church that is both reaching our neighborhood and the nations with the gospel? In his providence, God has brought many unreached people groups to our own city. Large populations of Afghans, of Burmese, and many other unreached people groups live right here in middle of America, Tulsa, Oklahoma. So what an amazing opportunity we have and that the Lord has placed before us. He has allowed, he has permitted tragedy and war and famine and coup d'etats for the purpose of redemption for these people. What an amazing opportunity. The harvest is plentiful. The labors are few. So let us go, therefore, and make disciples and to make disciples of all nations. Finally, we see in our text. The reason we make disciples, we participate in the Great Commission, is because Jesus has promised his presence. Let's read verse 20, where Jesus says this. He says, I am behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. If we remember who Jesus is, that he is the creator of the universe, that he sustains and he upholds the universe by his very spoken word word and that he gives a beat to your heart and he gives breath to your lungs and that he is the crucified and risen savior with all authority in heaven and on earth if you remember who jesus is then these words should be of great comfort to your soul and behold i am with you always to the end of the age listen god never gives us a command in scripture without giving an equal promise that enables and empowers our obedience. God never gives us a command in scripture where he does not give an equal promise that enables and empowers our obedience. And what greater promise could we ever have that would sustain us in this work, but that our king promises to go with us and to remain with us to the very end. Now, this doesn't mean that that we will not encounter difficulty or suffering as we take the gospel to the nations. I I have witnessed firsthand people who have died on the mission field, and I have been in the same country at the same time when missionaries have been martyred for the sake of Christ. So this promise doesn't ensure our physical safety. For Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But check out what Jesus said after that. What did he say? He said, but take heart, what? I have overcome the world. Our king who has overcome the world, who has all authority over everything, he has promised to be with us as we carry out his mission of making disciples among the nations. Now, there may be some of you this morning who have said, I I see this promise here, but I don't feel it to be true really in my life. I, I don't feel the presence of Jesus near to me. And I just want to ask you then, are you where Jesus is? Jesus is seeking and saving the lost. Have you joined him and are you joining him on that very mission? Jesus has promised his presence to be with us always as we carry out the mission of making disciples in our neighborhood and among the nations. 
So the success of the Great Commission, it is certain because Jesus is unrivaled in his authority. The scope of the Great Commission is established, and that is to make disciples of all nations. Yes, in our neighborhood, but, but of all nations as well. And so our own success when we obey this Great Commission, it is assured because King Jesus has promised to be with us always to the very end. And the, re- and the reason we commit ourselves to this work, remember, it's because Jesus is worthy of worship. A missionary named C.T. Studd once said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And so in closing, I want to ask you, will you personally commit yourself and will you together commit as New Life Baptist Church to seeing lives transformed by the gospel as we together make, mature, and mobilize disciples of Jesus? Will you be a church that is for your neighborhood, but also for the nations? And if so, I want to encourage you three things to do this week. Three things. and We're ending our time. Number one, I encourage you to begin praying that we as a church would advance the Great Commission in our neighborhood and and among the nations. What did Jesus say? He said, apart from me, you can do what? You can do nothing. Listen, when we pray, God works. There's mystery involved in that, but we are certain. When we pray, God works. So begin to pray regularly that our church, that this church would be, uh, would be committed to advancing the Great Commission in our neighborhood and among the nations. Secondly, uh, there was mention made about the Lottie Moon post office. Well, there's also another way to give to Lottie Moon. It's through the Christmas offering as well. And... Uh, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, it's an, it's an offering that happens every December. And 100% of what is given to that supports 3,700 missionaries around the world serving with the International Mission Board. So you can just designate Lottie Moon on your offering envelope and that can get counted toward there. And then finally, the third encouragement this week I want to encourage you with is pray that God would give you personally, give you opportunities to share the good news with Jesus, someone this week. Maybe even someone from an unreached people group that God has brought here to Tulsa. If you're not yet a Christian, Jesus invites you this morning to turn from your sin, to trust in him for salvation, and to join him on his mission. Listen, there is no greater meaning, no greater fulfillment, no higher purpose in life than to know Jesus and to serve Jesus in his mission. Four reasons why we have, uh, why we should engage in the work of the Great Commission. Because Jesus is worthy of worship. Because Jesus is unrivaled in his authority. Because Jesus has commanded every single follower of his. And because Jesus promises his presence to go with us the whole way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have entrusted us with the task and with fulfilling the work of the Great Commission. We thank you that you have given us your spirit who is with us, who empowers us for this work. So, Father, I pray now for New Life Baptist Church, this pivotal point in their history. Father, I pray that, that there would be, that you would bring forth a new season of renewed commitment to fulfilling the Great Commission here in our neighborhood and among the nations. 
Lord, we thank you that, that there is no insignificant church in your kingdom, but every church has been purchased with your blood. And so we pray that you would use this church mightily to see your kingdom come, to see your will be done, all, Lord, for the howling of your great and mighty and holy name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you have any questions or if we can serve you in any way, please connect with us at newlifeba.org.